Let me just dive in and uh, read to you from Luke, uh, the passage uh, that's kind of the backbone to what we're going to share today. I mean, obviously follow it if you want to on your own, and it'll be up on the screens. Or because it's so familiar, um, if you just want to sort of sit and almost intentionally try to listen to this afresh. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the Abriel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary? asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she, and she who said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary said. May your word come to me fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Did you notice, maybe as I spoke, as we read or on the screen, uh, three times son was mentioned. You will give birth to a son. He is son of the most high, son of God. Son has always been uh, a word for me that was a term of endearment. I have this really vivid memory of when I was eight or nine, running around calling my little brother son. Because it was a term that my parents used all the time and it seemed a grown up word and I wanted to be grown up and feel grown up. Uh, and yet it was also words spoken with so much love. I could hear mum and dad call to Robert, come on son, are you okay son? Come here son. And so I showered my wee brother with this term, the older sister, and maybe a little protective. I think I have a photograph of the two of us. Yeah, this is... Um, we'll not tell Robert that I'm putting photographs of him in public. Um, though you can imagine that fondness eventually turned to good old-fashioned bickering, um, but we are tight as now, which is lovely. I have loads of vivid memories of my childhood, and surpri not surprisingly, a standout is the arrival of this little brother. I remember we would pray. We would pray and ask God for a baby brother. Never a sister, always a baby brother. I actually asked my mum and dad this weekend when they were up, did you know you were having a boy? And they're like, no. And I'm thinking, this is risky. <laughs> um, but we, oh, I just prayed all the time, never doubted, never doubted that I would get a wee brother. And I remember um, I was about seven years old and I would climb into my mum and dad's bed on a Sunday night and we would talk through possible names. I remember mum and dad coming out with some corkers and that seven-year-old me was like, no, you can't call him that. Or yes, I like that. It was exciting. The waiting was exciting. And I remember the day coming and mum and dad going to hospital and I went to stay at my dad's sister and then dad coming in to me in the middle of the night to tell me I had a wee brother. 
I mean, that could have been the start of a faith crisis for me if it had been a wee sister, but no, it was a wee brother turned up. And so we came home, arrived home, my new baby brother named Robert. Funny, that name had never been discussed before, um, but the seven-year-old me liked it. Robert Samuel Warnock. A baby brother had arrived. A son was here. It's funny the little things you remember. I remember the midwives always say, he's a very long baby. He's a very long baby. And I also remember him peeing over me when I tried to change his nappy once. I'm sure he would love me uh, recounting these now. A baby boy had arrived. A son was here. This room is full of sons of all ages, from little Gabe to Freddie, Leo, Caleb, Thomas, Dave, Jamie, Clark, Moe. But I want us to consider Jesus as son and not quite skip on yet, but think back to that start. That little package, that little bundle, because there's something about noticing and noting Jesus as a baby boy that underlines his humanity, his utter vulnerability, his utter dependence on others. Our Savior was utterly dependent on others. And I I don't know about you, but I find it really hard to get my head around the idea of Jesus as human. And so I don't want to rush on by this window into seeing him. Just the other week, good friends of mine had a wee baby boy, Lorcan. I think I have a wee pick of him too. Um, he is a cutie. Uh, Lorcan is the firstborn. He is not a baby brother. He was the firstborn, the first to arrive. And this was Lorcan when he was two days old. How do you get your heads around Jesus being like this? I don't know how Mary physically felt in those incoming weeks or even after birth. I don't know if it was a long labor. I don't know what Jesus weighed, but he was here. He was a baby, a son, and he was here. How do you get your heads around this? That the one that ushers in salvation was once this. I know we talk about baby Jesus, especially at this time of year, but can I invite you to ponder this? Can I invite you not just this morning, but this week to ponder this? Scott and Connie and Gabriel, come on up. Um, Now, Jesus didn't look like Gabriel. Um, I'm guessing his skin might have been a wee bit swarthier and his hair a wee bit darker. Um, But I I got in touch with Connie and I said, will you help me out? Because I'm just trying to underline that our saviour, our king, was this size. Um, What what weight was he when he came? He was eight pounds one. And I can confirm he is a lot heavier than that right now. (laughs) (laughs) And you have landed on the name Gabriel for him. So how did you pick that name? Um, I feel I should say that Gabriel was the only name I suggested and I vetoed at least 5,000 names that Scott suggested, but he agreed. Um, It's actually really handy because we read that passage this morning and the first thing for me that was really important about Gabriel was do not be afraid was one of the first things he said in both accounts of when he spoke to people in the Bible and the second was that he was a bringer of good news and for me that was a prayer for this boy that he would also be a bringer of good news about Jesus, of course. There, there is something, isn't there, about names. They matter. They carry a meaning. So Jesus' is son. 
Um, uh, one last wee question, and Scott, is just what are you discovering about his wee nature, his wee personality? What are you finding out? Um, well, I guess this being like the first child that I have raised from the word dot, um, it's maybe more common than all babies, but the thing I've noticed is how much they feel everything all the time. You know, a baby can't regulate their emotions, so when he's sad, he does this big upturned lip, big cry, and when he's happy, he's ecstatically happy. Um, in terms of his own wee personality, uh, he loves books, which I'm obviously delighted about. Um, uh, he also doesn't sleep. I think he's decided it's not really for him. So first thing in the morning, usually woken up by a whack in the face, and then spend the day seeing how quickly we can climb the stairs. So yeah, he's dead. Playful and mischievous, and yeah, he's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Can you take time today, this week, to ponder that this was Jesus, this size, bestowed a name, and his nature was developing? Um, Jesus was divine and human. The one that ushers in salvation was once this. He was this size. Jesus needed to have someone wash him and feed him and love him. Needed someone to hold his hand as he tottered and walked. He needed someone to care for him. Can you ponder this? Can you take this away this week and ponder this? And I'm telling you these stories because how else do we remind ourselves that our King, our Saviour, our Emmanuel was a son, a son that started life as a baby. In, in, uh, in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Or in the popular message version, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Became flesh and blood. The one who's been in existence from the beginning became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Can you ponder this? Or as Paul reminds us, Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became flesh and blood. He moved into the neighborhood, found in appearance as a man. And so I want to invite you this morning, this week, to ponder that your Savior, the Emmanuel, the Lord, took on flesh and blood found an appearance as a man, entered our neighborhood as a son? Would you worship in awe at the actions of God, the humility of Christ, the presence of the Spirit, the Trinity working together? The Son of Man entered into our neighborhood and nothing would be the same again because he wasn't just human. He wasn't just a son he was divine and human. Divinity that took on human skin. Think about this. Divinity that was willing to limit itself. Divinity that was willing to restrain his strength. 
Don't let the familiar words rob you of remembering and considering this afresh this morning. Became flesh and blood. The one who'd been in existence from the beginning became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. His divinity and humanity was not limited to those first stages of life. He was divine and human throughout his time on earth. We, we maybe see that especially as a baby, but throughout his life, and even at the end, he could have stepped off that cross, but he submitted. He restrained his strength, his authority. Though at times, as we read the Bible, as we uh, listen to those accounts, we get glimpses of his authority, don't we? Moments when he allowed us to see his true nature. Even as a child, you remember that account when he got lost, or at least his parents couldn't find him. I always found that story of the missing Jesus really amusing when I was a child. Um, because as a child, you could relate to it. I mean, uh, well, I was going to say, maybe, we all, maybe it's only me, but stories of losing our parents and stories that your folks always like to retell you. Like, oh, Helen, do you remember that time you went missing in the Abbey Centre? Um, and I'm like, no, I don't, but okay. <laughs> or I have this really vivid memory of being on holiday in the Isle of Wight, and we went to this Hall of Mirrors, and, uh, and I got separated from mum and dad and my brother, and I found them, and it was okay. Uh, and so I'm standing in this mirror, and I suddenly realise I'm holding the hand of an absolute stranger, and I have been for quite some time. He was not my dad. Um, I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't scared. I was absolutely humiliated. Um, I found them. That was okay. But we have stories of being lost or being missing. And, and maybe that's why as a kid this story connected to me. But I also loved that story of the missing Jesus because I loved when adults would tell it. They would always emphasize the fact that, you know, it was typical. It was a big group and everybody would look after the child. It wasn't that Mary and Joseph were bad parents. And it always just amused me as a child because I think you're just putting a spin on this. <laughs> you're just putting a spin on this because you're in the parent club. Um, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> this account gives us little hints as to who this boy was. Again, same book, Luke, chapter two. We read, after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard them was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This missing son was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. This missing son who was amazing everyone with his understanding and answers. This son of Mary and Joseph was the son of God, the son of the Most High. Even within flesh, we are seeing glimpses of the divine. Within his humanity, his divinity is at work. We see this understanding throughout his life as a child, as a man, the way that he speaks to the crowd when the woman was caught in adultery, the way that he speaks to the rich ruler, or how he spends time with Zacchaeus, or even his anger at the temple years down the line. We see this amazement again as the crowds are amazed as teachers, as, at his teaching as the disciples are amazed as he commands the winds and the waves to obey him. 
when the crowds were amazed when Jesus drove out the demons out of the man who'd been mute, when the people in his hometown are amazed as he spoke in the synagogue, they were amazed at his wisdom and his miraculous powers. People were amazed when they saw the silent speak, the ill healed, the blind see. This son, this firstborn, this baby was divine and human. And throughout his life, he gives us glimpses of his authority, his divine nature. We see it when he resists temptation in the wilderness. We see it when he calms the storm. We see it when he turns the water into wine, when he heals the woman, when he raises Jairus' daughter. He is not just a son. But remember our opening passage? He was the son of the Most High, the Son of God. Just as we consider this son, we can't just consider his humanness. We have to consider his divine nature too. Fully God, fully human. And again, I say, will you ponder this? Will you allow the mystery, the awe, the vulnerability, alongside the authority to cause you to worship today? This son of God, this son was Mary's and Joseph's, but he was the son of God. He was a son of Mary and Joseph, but he was a son of God. His divinity changed everything. It changed his humanity, but it also changes ours. And this week, as you ponder the humanity of Jesus, could I also ask you to ponder your own humanity? Because your humanity is different in light of his divinity. Look, look at these verses in 1 John. And I, I put up three different um, versions so that we might see. Let me just read them through. Um, from the NIV, the message, and the NCV. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And we know that the Son of God came so we could recognize and understand the truth of God. What a gift. And we are living in the truth itself in God's Son, Jesus Christ. This Jesus is both true God and real life. We also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so we can know the true one. And our lives are in the true one and in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and the eternal life. The Son of God has come. The Son of God came so we would recognize and understand the truth of God. He came with a message. He came that we might know God. But did you catch that second part? He came to usher in change. We are in him, living in Christ. Our lives are in the true one, in the Son of Christ. His divinity changes everything. It transforms our humanity too. His divinity changes everything. It transforms our humanity too. So as hard as it is to get our heads around that Christ being human, can I ask you, are you willing to allow the divine to work in your life? How willing are you to allow your humanity to be expanded and transformed by his divinity? As you think about and consider this son, this child, this man, this son of God, man, this son of God, firstly, what he is inviting you and me into, his family, we are his children. 
See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. This love existed before time began, but in one moment in time, he stepped into our world so that we would be of no doubt that he loved us. The baby Jesus, the son, the young child, the young man came so all mankind would know. One son allowing you to be a child, a son or daughter, one son inviting you into his family, inviting you to be adopted into his heavenly family, to share his inheritance in his inheritance. But this is not just about family or inheritance. This is about transformation. Are our lives just about identity or will we allow our lives to be about transformation? His divinity is not just inviting us in, but it is transforming our lives. Will I, will you, will we be willing to allow the divine to work in our lives? For our understanding to be transformed, for our nature to be transformed so that we would grow. His humanity transforms ours. His divinity changes everything. Our humanity is transformed by his divinity. So at Christmas, as we ponder the humanity of Christ, I want to invite you to consider the divine transformation that he ushers into your humanity. As you consider the divine in human form, consider the divine at work in your human form. As you consider the divine in human form, consider the divine at work in your human form. And I guess this morning, I'm not asking you to consider what action you need to take, but the more uh, to consider the power of God at work in you. Will you let him transform your humanity? As you consider he was human, human and divine, how his humanity draws him near, how his divinity ushers in an authority and transformation, will you consider your own humanity and how it is impacted and transformed by his humanity, by his divinity? Somehow it seems easier to get our heads around divine Jesus than human Jesus. Um, But I want us to stop, stop this week and consider the mystery. Think about Jesus as human. Think about Jesus as divine. Think the difference that it made in his life and his walk. Think about the difference that it makes in your life and your walk. His humanity helps us see his divinity, I think. And his divinity changes everything. Will you let it change you? There's a fear when we meet, when we gather, that we get these pockets of information and that's good. And, I, and that is good. But I guess as I have been carrying this over the last couple of weeks, it's kind of wrecked my head a wee bit in, try, in re-seeing Jesus. And so that's why I keep using the word ponder this morning. Because I don't want it to be some tidy talk that you just put it in your pocket. But I want to invite you this week to ponder Jesus to take time to think about his humanity. To think, think, take time to think about what, how can he be fully human and fully divine?
and want you to take time to think about the difference his divinity made to his humanity. And then in exactly the same way, think about what the difference his divinity makes to your humanity. Advent maybe gives us space. It doesn't always feel like that way and the rush to get things finished at work or the people we need to see or the presents that need bought. But it maybe opens up a concept of waiting and time. And so I ask you, will you ponder these things this week? Will you consider Jesus as son, human and divine and the difference that this makes for you?